There is another name for the skills we'd love our kids to have, like the ability to focus, remember where they left their shoes. Oh my gosh, this is triggering. Not just chuck their swimming towel down in the middle of the lounge when they get home from the school holiday program. Oh, here's a good one. Manage emotions with fewer meltdowns. All this stuff together is called executive function. And no child wants to hear that tonight's bedtime story is about enhancing your executive memory skills. But perhaps I'd like to hear about a little girl called Flo and her big day. Rebecca Bella is a best-selling author and has a huge following on Instagram talking about mental health. She has a new children's book that on the surface is about a little girl going to school, but it's also a guide for adults to help children manage some pretty big feelings. The book is called Let's Go Flow, and Rebecca Bella joins me now. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Tell me the story. How did you come to be that person with 400,000 people following her on Instagram for a bit of mental health advice? <laughs> Honestly, um, it still kind of baffles me every day as to how that's happened. And I think if I really stepped back and thought about it, I'd probably freak out and stop posting things. Um, <laughs> think about the magnitude of people that are there. But yeah. honestly, it's a it's a project that I have um, just chipped away at. And for me, the reason I think it's grown such a following is because I've really tried hard to make mental health tools and kind of tools that you might find in a therapy room you know, hidden behind the therapist's couch to make them really accessible and digestible um, so that people can just access that and that they know that we all struggle. So I've been really honest on there about my own journey with, you know, anxiety and I've had panic attacks and all of that stuff. And so it's just about making this really relatable and the illustrations kind of make it feel kind of non-threatening. So it's it's just a place to go to get really quality tips and, and tools. Yeah. And social media is often seen as the enemy of good mental health. Do you see it differently? I do. I see it both ways, actually. And I can see the impact that it has on, you know, self-esteem and things in our young people, but also just in, even as adults, our own ability to kind of pay attention to things and not have to focus on a hundred things at once or get bored and then be straight on there scrolling. So yes, there's the bad side, but if you use it well, it's also connection and it's advice and it's support and it's all these amazing things too. So I try to see the light side of it. And is it challenging to maintain your own mental well-being while making this uh, a business? I've I've definitely had my moments and I think it was really hard in the beginning when my wee girl was really little and not sleeping and trying to kind of keep the business afloat just in her nap times and you know when she was asleep at night trying to write the books and things like that and they were the real challenging times Um, but now it feels like it's in a really lovely balance and a real sustainable way of helping people because I think you know working one-on-one was quite draining work doing that one-on-one counseling whereas this this is such a widespread impact, and I really love that. So which is more challenging, um, doing books for adults or for kids? 
I find them more challenging to do them for kids. Yeah. Um, and partly that's because the majority of my experiences in counseling um, adults, but also because my daughter is my harshest critic. <laughs> she, she, I say to her, do you want to read Big Feelings tonight, babe? And she's like, mm, no. <laughs> so try not to take that too, too harshly, but she's a big fan of Let's Go Flow, so I'm hoping I've got it right this time. Yeah, and Let's Go Flow <laughs> illustrates how executive function applies to kids and you describe it like a manager inside our brains can you um, flesh out that metaphor for us a bit yeah i think of i don't know if you've seen that movie inside out um no. but i think of it a little bit like that so there's like this sort of switchboard panel in our brains and executive function is this manager and uh-huh. i think of it as having all these little staff and the staff are working memory, attention and focus, inhibition and impulse control, emotional regula- regulation, planning, flexibility, self-monitoring, all those things, right, is, those are the little staff in the brain. And we kind of want all of those, those we staff to be working cohesively to have us running well so that we can set goals and we can plan and get things done and manage our emotions and impulses and so that's what happens if it's all working well, we've got all that going, but many kids struggle with it, especially children, and also many adults do too. So it's really normal to, to have some one of the staff members slacking off a bit in there. <laughs> okay, and, and so how does this stuff specifically apply to kids? So executive function, when kids, um, we know when we have our children, they don't have their prefrontal cortex, which is the, the front part of the brain where executive function skills are driven. It's just where our language and our rational thinking mm. and all of that, that part of their brain just isn't developed yet. And so these skills, they, they come online and develop really rapidly between sort of three and five years old. And then they keep developing throughout childhood and adolescence and into adulthood. So they take lots and lots of time and, and practice um, for these, these skills too to develop in our little ones. And they need a heck of a lot of um, modeling from us and a lot of teaching. So initially it can feel like it's a real struggle um, for us as parents because of course they just don't have Mm. these skills online and not functioning all the time or not functioning to our adult capacity for such a long time you know the brain doesn't fully develop until on average age 25 so it takes a long time to to really get that online. You were a high school counsellor for three years and so you saw lots of teens battling with mental health issues do you believe that kids who learn to self-regulate big emotions younger than that actually have a better chance of becoming teenagers who can deal with anxiety and other challenges? It's going to help them out in that um, in that age bracket for sure. It's one of those things, though, when we know with our teenagers that it's just a time of life where their brain kind of shuts down for remodeling, and, and, and for lack of a better way of putting it. So their, their prefrontal cortex kind of goes offline so much of the time and it's a really good thing, actually, because their brains are pruning out pathways that they don't need and they're creating all these new ones. But it does mean, of course, that our teens do struggle with executive function skills and emotional regulation and especially things like impulse control and all of that. And so they're all going to struggle with it to an extent. But for sure, if we can develop those really strong foundations in our little ones, especially 
emotional regulation skills, the more we can build up their emotional literacy and their emotional intelligence, the better equipped they are when they go into their teen years, especially the more they're able to to practice it. So mm. if they know really good emotional coping skills young and they've practiced them lots because we've normalized that in, in the home with them, then it's a more chance that those aren't the pathways that are going to get pruned away. And because they're such solid connections, our teens are going to have more mm. access to them. Yeah. I'm speaking with Rebecca Bella. She's a best-selling author. Her book is called Let's Go Flow. It's a guide for adults to help children manage some big feelings. And so this is the story of Flo living her life, going to school, experiencing so many things that actually parents will recognise as potential flashpoints. Here's one. Flo gets ready for school and packs her own bag. Wouldn't that be good? Um, she has a checklist. Is this something you think kids should be doing, packing their own backpacks for school? And when should they start? Some of them can, and I mean, I certainly my wee one isn't, and she's she's four. But some people are going to be able to do that really young. And I think the thing that I have found that they really love is this really helps with their kind of working memory and their planning as yeah. well. Is doing visual uh, timetables and visual checklists yeah. and things like that. So then being able to see like a flow of maybe what the morning would look like visually. And I just picked up a super cheap one from Kmart that you put together these little magnets on it. This is how the day is going to go. And she absolutely loves it. And that's the perfect way of sort of starting to teach those skills, you know, their ability to be able to do one task after another and so on. So, yeah, they can start doing these things really, really young. Yeah, it's the same every morning in our house. Have you brushed your teeth? Have you got your shoes on? Have you put your lunchbox? It's just over and over and over again. We've got four children, so it's a lot of questions. So you like the idea of maybe a, a little worksheet or a, a checklist. Maybe it's a picture of teeth and tooth, toothbrush or you know a picture of a lunchbox that they can kind of mentally tick off. I think those things work. So, I mean, goodness, you're playing the ultimate manager role, aren't you, with four kids in the morning? That must be absolutely... Be a manager slash victim, Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it feels like Oh, I often say, like, it's really easy for me to advise on some of this stuff when I've got one child. I feel like you've only got the one to manage. No, same same principle, though, right? Same principle. (laughs) But, yes, absolutely. Like, visual timetables are really um, a really cool thing for kids to do to take a bit of ownership as well of this is this is my schedule and these are the things that I've got to get done and some of them they can tick off along the way or they can put a little sticker on as they go so those kinds of things can really help and the other thing I think that is uh is useful when we've got kids who really tend to uh drag the chain on those um organizational things is making it fun so there's like games like beat the timer or you know so you start a time where you might start a song yeah. And kids have got to have that task completed by the time the song finishes or the timer runs out. And so it kind of becomes a bit fun and just adding a little bit of um, something different into the morning sometimes can help kickstart their brain into into these executive functions. Flo forgets a couple of things, her pencil, um, her bear at bedtime. What are some good ways of, because you can't always foresee what your child is going to forget, right? So how do you deal with that? How do you help them develop better memory skills? 
So lists again are a really cool thing, but I again my thing with any of this stuff is that if we can develop it in play or develop it in really fun ways, it's probably more likely to stick and also more likely that they're gonna be open to it. So with memory, um I love games like um just mem you know, memory games turning over cards or peers or things, but a really fun one is um and it's this is in the in the book at the parent section at the back. This idea of you set up a tray and put all different objects on the tray, and then put it cover it with a tea towel, and they close their eyes, and you take one object away, and then they've got to try to figure out what is the object that was missing. And I think we probably all played games like that when we yeah. were kids, but and they're, they're the kind of ones that you remember. And I think with playing games like that, you have to work out strategies for how do you remember a big list of things um, other than us using our phones as, as adults now is the only way I'd remember yeah. a big list of things. But, you know, those kinds of things are really fun. And we used to play the holiday packing game. So you'd say, you know, I'm going on holiday and taking my swimsuit. And the next person says my swimsuit and toothpaste. Yeah, yeah. And then you keep adding. I'm sure we all played those. Like that's just That's a really fun way of doing it. Uh, Self-regulation is an interesting one. I've got one child in particular who I just see them blowing their stack. You know, it just all builds up and, and they're not mm. quite sure what to do with this big ball of anger usually. Um, and that's one thing when I'm around to give them a hug and um, help calm them down. But what about when you're not there? How do you teach those self-regulation skills? It's such a good question and such a hard one, right? Because they are so prone to these big emotional outbursts. Their feelings are really big feelings and one of my mottos that I always try to remind myself is that we have to practice in the calm to access in the chaos and so yeah. if we can model and practice things and make it really normalized to have a good toolkit then when they're not with us for us to do that co-regulation piece with them or when things do get you know, the lid has flipped and they are really angry. They're just more likely to be able to access those skills. And so I, you know, for, for my little one, she's only four, but we kind of actively work on little emotional regulation skills that, that suit her age. So she learns things like tensing and shaking out her muscles, or she might learn different breathing techniques like hot chocolate breath, or five finger breathing, just really fun ones that kids can relate to. And they've become so normal for her that when she'll get angry now or have a tantrum now, she might go and take herself to her calm corner or she might tell me, oh, mum, you know, I need to do my five finger breathing. And it's the cutest thing to hear that, you know, because it's been practiced enough, she can access that when she starts mm. to get angry. And then, of course, there is that point, right, where the lid is absolutely flipped and <laughs> we just have to ride that out and so do they. Um, but, yes, it certainly helps kind of making that really normal that they they learn those skills around the home with us. I mean, this stuff is hard enough Where when you're in a fully equipped family home. Last year, you and your husband converted a bus and did a six-month trip around New Zealand with a two-year-old. Was that the experience you <laughs> thought it would be? No. <laughs> yes and no. Um, it was so amazing. Like it was so enriching on so many levels. Like our our country is absolutely incredible. And I, you know, having to see it in that way was just amazing to do. To see 
you know, this little toddler out there walking tracks and running on beaches and seeing dolphins and seals and all of that was amazing. But man, it had its challenges as well. And you don't sort of think about it at the time you romanticize that bus lifestyle, but (laughs) you know, living three people in this 10 meter long bus and trying me trying to kind of keep getting bits of work done. And, Oh yeah, we had our, we had our moments of one person would be at one end of the bus and the other at the other end, just having some time. But it was, um, it was so cool. And I often think about it and how much I'd love to, to do that again. I think it was a really cool experience for our little one to have. Yeah, for sure. What advice would you give a family planning a six month bus tour around New Zealand? <laughs> I think my advice would be to get outside as much as you possibly can mm. and to have a good kind of structure within working in that small space. <laughs> so that was probably the hardest thing to navigate. But actually, one thing I thought was really cool about it was to show you how minimal you could be in your life and be really happy with just such minimal things. Like we didn't need the big space and the big TV or the big anything fancy. You know, it was about just being in touch with nature and having a tiny box of clothes each and that was it. And it worked. It really worked. And so I think maybe... I've sort of tried to take a little bit of that into my life now is minimizing it a little bit, minimizing what you need to live can be kind of taking out some of the mental clutter mm. um, that we all have in our lives as well. Like we didn't have to fill every moment um, and a lot of it was just enjoying the downtime. So it was, it was, yeah, it was really wonderful. A lot of lessons for how to live life. And although your two-year-old won't be at all grateful and probably won't even remember it, you know deep down it will be something <laughs> positive for her for the rest of her life. <laughs> we do such amazing things with the kids, and two weeks later we say, remember that thing we did? And they're like, no. <laughs> I know. It's kind of devastating, isn't it? Yeah, I think she's forgotten that already. Okay. But hey, um, okay. Maybe I'll force her into a bus again one day. <laughs> because I think a lot of the stuff will be good for adults as well as for kids, can we finish with that five finger breathing technique? I'd never come across that before, and I think it's um it's super useful. Would you mind letting people know how to do it? Yeah, so I mean, the breath is so powerful, and a lot of people don't and they're not interested in it because it seems like such a minor thing, yeah. but it really activates that calm part of our nervous system. And so five finger breathing is so simple for our little ones and for us. You just hold a hand out in front of you. You use your other hand's pointer finger. And you slowly, slowly trace around your fingers. And as you trace up, you inhale deep into your belly. And as you trace down the finger, you let out a really slow extended exhalation. And you just keep going around each finger. And then by the end, you probably feel just a smidgen calmer, hopefully. Love that. And out of interest, what was your favorite place in that six-month tour of New Zealand? I absolutely adored right down south in the Catlins where um, I went swimming with the Hector's dolphins. Oh, and wow. that was just a core memory that I don't think I will ever forget. It was absolutely beautiful down there. Yeah, the wildlife down there is amazing, eh? Did you see any sea lions? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was swimming with these dolphins and I came out of the water and a few minutes later 
a ginormous <laughs> sea lion came staggering up the beach and I ran into some locals and I said, oh my goodness, the sea lion. And they said, you're actually kind of lucky because a couple of weeks ago he attacked a swimmer and bit her in the ankle. And, oh you know, here was I in the waters with him, not realizing it. So thankfully he left me alone that day. But yeah, absolutely incredible to see. Yeah. Well, those sea lions have very poor emotional regulation, you see. You need to teach them the, the five-fin technique. <laughs> five-fin breathing. Yeah. Uh, hey, um, congratulations. You've done a great job on this book. You always make so much sense. And um, the book's called Let's Go Flow. I've been talking to best-selling author and Instagram hit Rebecca Bella. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Jesse.